In this extraordinary time, we've refocused the leader to bring you all the latest news and analysis on the coronavirus pandemic. During this period, we want you to know the Evening Standard is with you, so we're going to give you as much advice and help as we can. Subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is the leader, Coronavirus Daily. Hi, I'm David Marsland. The pressure's on to get everyone tested for COVID-19, but will that be enough to halt this pandemic? This is really important testing, but it's not a silver bullet and it's not a case of get tested once, go past go, collect £200. It's, it's not that simple. Microbiology professor Simon Clark tells us how flawed testings cause problems in places like Spain. Also, we seem to be through peak panic buying now. The people have either just stocked up their larders of fridges with enough stuff to to see them through the rest of the year and just don't need to go out anymore or common sense has prevailed. The Evening Standard's Jonathan Prynne as supermarkets report a return to normalcy but we also talk about the turmoil faced by airlines with EasyJet grounding its fleet and he wanted no fuss which sounds quite Prince Philip. I imagine they're taking all necessary precautions to make sure that the Queen and Prince Philip are kept safe. Insider editor Lucy Pavier as Prince Charles comes out of isolation and Harry and Meghan are told to pay for their own security in the US. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is the leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, the importance of testing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. The Prime Minister's special adviser, Dominic Cummings, is the latest member of Downing Street to go into self-isolation after showing signs of having coronavirus. It's not known if he's been tested, but the Prime Minister certainly was last week, as was the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock. The rest of the country, though, is mainly in the dark. The UK is up to 10,000 tests a day, with an aim to get that to 25,000. Germany's thought to be doing half a million a week. Our editorial column says that's a difference that has to be dealt with. The number of people being tested each day for coronavirus is growing fast, but it needs to grow faster still. 
everyone agrees with that, including ministers. So it's no surprise that people are looking enviously at Germany, which has tested four or five people for everyone who has had a test in Britain. Why can't that happen here? First, ramping up production of test kits isn't easy. Second, there's still a lot that's not known about the disease. Tests for antibodies could soon show if people have suffered from coronavirus, but we don't yet know if they can become reinfected. Explaining uncertainties and difficulties such as these is a challenge. Governments want to talk about success, but the right advice for ministers is to be open about the challenge, even when testing is falling short of what we all want. But is testing the magic bullet that will end this pandemic? Professor of Microbiology at Reading University, Simon Clark's with me now. And Simon, first of all, there are two coronavirus tests that people are talking about. Can you explain what they are? So there's one test which looks for the presence of the actual virus, and there are a couple of ways you can do that. And the other type of test is to look for antibodies. Antibodies being the proteins that your immune system makes uh, in response to an infection, and it's, they produce them in order to try and destroy the pathogen. It's one of the mechanisms they use for destroying the pathogen. And in some places you've written in your article, there are places like Spain, where the tests have given inaccurate results. Yeah, that was just one type of test. But of course, if you buy hundreds of thousands of copies of a test and your um, screening uh, system is you know, several million, uh, you knock out a large percentage of your testing capacity in one go by having uh, a duff, a faulty test. So how complicated is all this then? I mean, if we're trying to think of a strategy to get out of this, and if testing forms a major part of that, does anybody know what they're doing? Um, I'm slightly concerned that the, there is a sort of um, a difference, a, a, a incongruity, if you like, of message between certain people. Uh, the simplest example of this is when the tests are coming out, when they will be made available. We're told days, we're told weeks, we're told we have to test, uh, we have to test the tests, we have to make sure they work properly, um, and we're told that they'll be with us imminently. So there is a confusion around the message going on here. I think I think that's part of the problem. Uh, the other is what the testing will actually tell you, and it's possible to overinterpret the results. The classic being immunity. If you have antibodies to something, it doesn't necessarily mean that you will have a protective immunity to that infection on subsequent exposures. It might do, and my sense is that it probably will, but that isn't guaranteed. The other thing that needs to be borne in mind is that even if you know you've got that immunity, even if you can be sure of it, immunity dwind can dwindle over time. So we ha we'll have to check again and again over time to make sure that particularly in the case of hospital workers, their immunity hasn't vanished. How much of the worldwide strategy is based then, given what you've just said, on an educated guess? Well, it's not an educated guess if you know somebody's got the virus. That, that's that's the, 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 the known known, if you like. Um, the educated guess is the surrounding immunity um, and how long that immunity lasts for. If you think about it, we've only known about this virus for three months. So even if you were absolutely confident that the antibody response somebody gets now in response to an infection 
we can only know that that will last for up to a maximum of three months because nobody has ever had it for longer. It might last for longer. Again, my sense is that it probably would. But that is just an educated guess. It's not a known. So we're going to be working this out for a really long time, actually, aren't we? Yes, until we get a, a, a vaccine. And even then, we'll, you know, we'll have to see how that works. We won't understand it from the word go. We won't get an immediate handle on how it works. There are years of work ahead on this. And does that affect how long countries like the UK have self-isolation measures for? We heard over the weekend that it could be as long as six months. Is that the sort of thing we're talking about? Well, the the um, control mechanisms can be uh, uh, put in place and taken away while we watch how the virus moves through the population. So in order to be able to take things away, you need a, a better picture of what the virus is doing in the general population. Um, but you need to maintain vigilance and keep that eye in place, looking at everything um, when you've removed them, to know when you need to re-implement them. This is really important testing, but it's not a silver bullet, and it's not a case of get tested once and you're all, you know... Go past go collect two hundred pounds. It's it's not that simple. Next, they will be able to get to the supermarkets. Okay, there will be food, and that's just calmed everyone down. Can the days of stockpiling really be coming to an end? The Evening Standard's Jonathan Prince says they could be. The coronavirus pandemic began in the UK with a sudden, almost inexplicable rush to the toilet roll aisle in our supermarkets. Then came long queues and empty aisles as people stockpiled huge amounts of food, leaving nothing for the emergency workers coming off night shifts. But is that about to end? The Evening Standard's consumer business editor, Jonathan Prinz, has been speaking to shops and he joins me over Skype. Jonathan, what have they been saying? They're all confident that their shelves will be stocked at pretty close to normal levels this week because two reasons. One, they've all introduced uh, these social distancing measures that effectively restrict the number of people that they let into stores at any one time. And that's made it easier for staff physically to get to the shelves and, and fill them up again with bread and milk and, and all the rest of it. But at the same time, we seem to be through peak panic buying now. The people have either just stocked up their larders and fridges with enough stuff to, to see them through the rest of the year and just don't need to go out anymore, or common sense has prevailed and they've changed their behaviour and realised that you know stockpiling really doesn't make any sense either for them, but particularly for you know society as a whole, um, and particularly for those people who really need the supplies. So at least we're seeing some things start to return to something like normal right now, Jonathan, but the airline industry is going through absolute turmoil right now, isn't it? EasyJet has grounded all of its flights. It must be almost impossible for that industry to operate when nobody's going anywhere and there's hardly anywhere to go anyway. Yeah, it's unprecedented. I mean, it's a word we've been using a lot in the last few weeks. I suppose, I suppose the only, the, the only uh, small-scale precedent is the Icelandic ash cloud of, of, a, of a decade ago, which grounded all aviation um, for a couple of weeks, I think. This, this is obviously going to be much longer. 
it costs money to keep planes grounded, but it costs a whole lot more, obviously, to put them into the into the sky. So at least they'll be cutting down on on fuel, obviously, landing and takeoff charges. The the, the cabin crew they've put on to furlough, um, so they'll they'll be able to carry on getting paid. But flight crew, they're still talking to their union about, but it looks like they will definitely go the same way as well. So they can they can hugely reduce their costs and go into a kind of sleep mode, really, as a, a corporate sleep mode, and and hope that uh, they can you know fire themselves up when we reach the other side. I suppose the question has to be: Will they reach the other side, and will other airlines reach the other side of this if they all if they're all asleep right now? You know, there, there are a handful, as in any industry, there are a handful of absolute winners, really well-financed and well-run companies that, that have got a really good chance of coming through. Uh, EasyJet, you would certainly put into into that category. It's, it's an absolutely remarkable business that r- runs a remarkably complex uh, organization, but very tightly, uh, and it's an extremely well-managed. So I, I'm pretty, and, and they're well-financed, so I'm pretty sure they will, be on the list of, of airlines that will will come through and, and thrive and prosper on the other side, but there'll be plenty that won't. And we, you know, we heard from the boss of Logan Air today saying that he's about to go cap in hand to the to the government to ask for money, and uh, he will be one of very many uh, captains of aviation industry, as it were, who who will be lining up uh, Rishi Sunak's door at number eleven and saying. You know, if we don't get something from the taxpayer, we there will be no airline um, when things restart again. And then we'll have to see. The government has made it very clear that they they only will consider any sort of uh, aid, state aid, once every other avenue of, of potential funding has been exhausted. So uh, it's yeah, it's going to be a tough call. Is there any risk of during the lockdown? airlines all airlines just going well if easyjet can shut down for a bit so can we and there being no planes up there in the skies i think we're likely to get quite close to that and certainly in terms of the the the, the domestic uh, aviation sector mm-hmm. uh i don't think it will go down to absolute zero as it were i mean at the moment ryanair are flying 10 percent of their schedule ba are flying a tiny part of their schedule but you know, there'll be, a, as I said before, a diminishing number of places to fly to and from, um, uh, as well as this uh, huge fall in demand. There's a lot of cargo aviation in the sky. If you happen to be a bit of an aviation anorak and you go onto Flight Tracker or one of those other um, apps where you can see what's in the sky, uh, not only above you, but all around the world, you'll notice that an increasing number of the flights that are um, up there are carrying freight and cargo now. Normally, if you go on to Flight Tracker, absolutely carpeted with um, uh, images of virtual planes buzzing all over southern England, you know, taking off from Heathrow, Gatwick, Stansted, Southend, Luton, or flying over the country on their way across to America or whatever. Now it's down to a, a handful of planes, very, very well spaced out. And that will only diminish until we get to the point, as you say, where I think there'll be very, very little over the skies of England quite soon. And you can read more from Jonathan at standard.co.uk. Now, 
Prince Charles is out of self-isolation following his positive test for coronavirus seven days ago. Clarence House says the prince is in good health. Insider editor Lucy Pavia joins me from her house over Zoom. Lucy, Prince Charles is a very fit man, but he's still 71 years old. There must still have been some concerns for him within the royal family. Yes, it must be an enormous relief for the royal family that he's out of isolation. Um, we know that he was isolated at Burkle Cottage at Balmoral. Luckily, Camilla has tested negative for it. Um, but obviously there'll be additional worries about the wider family, particularly the Queen and Prince Philip, because he only saw them, uh, I think, nine, ten days ago. So I expect they'll be keeping an eye on every royal family member very closely. Well, socially distanced, but closely. Do we know much about what's been going on with the wider royal family, particularly the Queen and Prince Philip? So they moved from Buckingham Palace, I think it was now two weeks ago, to Windsor Castle. Um, And there have been various reports about um, what the state of play is at, at Windsor Castle. There was talk of the Queen doing a televised address, but that appears to be off the table. I would imagine their household staff has been slimmed down. Um, Prince Philip, who was flown in from Sandringham, reportedly said he wanted no fuss, which sounds quite Prince Philip as a thing to say. So I imagine they're taking all necessary precautions to make sure that the Queen and Prince Philip are kept safe. So the Queen and Prince Philip apparently in good health at Windsor Castle. And of course, Charles, as you said, has been in self-isolation at Burkhold Cottage, which is not a small cottage. Yes. In fact, we were writing about this this week where all the royal family members are isolating. And I have to say, having an arsenal of enormous country houses um, at the ready is quite handy for isolation. I mean, not many of us can, can retreat to a 58-bedroom country house with 10,000 acres around us. So I think the royal family have been do- doing social distancing very well for years and years. Um, Charles, in particular, was at Burkle Cottage, and apparently William said uh, previously that, that Charles is obsessed with the red squirrels at Burkle Cottage, and he hides nuts in his jacket pocket, and the squirrels go and come into the house and, and eat them. So I'm, I'm, I'd like to, to imagine that's what he's been doing on his, on his isolation, which also sounds quite pleasant. And while all this has been going on, Prince Charles's son Harry uh, has apparently moved to LA, but Donald Trump has been pretty clear that the United States isn't going to pay for Harry and Meghan's security, isn't he? It feels like quite a convenient distraction tactic on the Trump part to start tweeting about Harry and Meghan. I think most people in America are thinking this is not priority for you right now to wade into this row. I feel sorry for Harry and Meghan. I think it's a complicated thing. I mean, we've, we, um, one of our reporters, Megan Hills, was speaking to some security experts a couple of weeks ago about this. And it's enormously complicated, the protection of royal family members, um, far more complicated than perhaps a Hollywood star. So uh, uh, Alex Bomberg, who we were speaking to in particular, said you need round the clock protection. You need access to intelligence because Harry and Meghan have reportedly had a number of threats made against them. And that can amount to about, I mean, he estimated £15,000 a day, which can clock up to £5 a year. There's lots of royal news on the Evening Standard's Insider pages, which you can find at standard.co.uk forward slash insider. And that's The Leader. Subscribe through your podcast provider and give us a rating too. We're back tomorrow at 4pm.
Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.